It is wonderful to be here on one of the rare Sundays, it seems, these days that I get to be with you. Um, but it is a real privilege to be able to get together and worship Jesus. Uh, as many of you know, I, I was in Brazil, uh, got back a couple of weeks ago, but I've been busy traveling since. Brazil was an incredible time. Uh, I will be going again July, August, and then in November. So if anybody's keen to join us in November, we're going to have a, a, a 412 uh, equipped conference in Sao Paulo in November. And uh, it's incredible what God's doing there. Um, so one, one of my highlights of the trip, um, I did a youth conference. There were about 300 people uh, from all over Brazil at this youth conference. They were mostly youth leaders. And um, they made me preach six times in three days. And the Saturday evening I preached, and uh, I just preached on how God is de- desires to use us and pour his gifts out and his anointing, and uh, asked if anybody wanted to respond afterwards. And I ended up uh, praying and prophesying and ministering over people uh, for two and a half hours after the meeting. Um, and one of my highlights of that, there was a, a young girl there, she, she was probably nine years old, so she was there because her parents were there serving, she shouldn't have been there, but... She was there, and she was listening, and she was worshiping, and uh, she came forward. She responded, I, I, I want to be used by God, and, and God just highlighted her to me, and I said, have you ever prophesied over somebody? And she said, no. I said, do you have a desire to? She said, yes. I said, come up here. We'll pray for you. So I prayed for her, and then I said, right, God's giving you that gift. Do you want to use it now? She said, yeah. I said, so... Is there somebody here you think God wants to speak to? And she looked around and she pointed to one girl. I said, come. And this was a girl I had, I had a prophetic word waiting for. It was incredible. So she called her up onto the stage. Now this girl's about nine years old. I didn't want to break her. So I said, listen, do you want to, do you want to pray and prophesy her at the side, just quiet? Or do you want to do it here in front of everybody over the microphone? She said, I'll do it over the microphone. And she began to pray and prophesy over this girl so accurately, you know, and it was just incredible to see how God uses us when we're just willing, right? We don't have to be experienced. We don't have to have a title. We don't have to have a noddy badge. You know, we've all got the same Holy Spirit. And when we just make ourselves available, God wants to use us. He wants to, I think God is most glorified when he does incredible people through idiots like us. It's like, I, I, I was there and we saw incredible things. We saw people saved and, and set free. People who, who a, a number of young people who, who were battling with suicidal thoughts and just set free and full of joy. And it's incredible to see. And there can be no question that it must be God because it can't be me, right? I'm, I'm just not that skilled or clever or good looking or charismatic. When those things happen, and you don't have to nod so vigorously. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Yeah, it can't possibly. (laughs) But I want to encourage us to to step out, because it's not about how gifted we are. It's about how powerful he is. I want to share this morning... Uh, and I want to use a scripture, you know, there's the scriptures that we read a lot and then the scriptures that are very obscure that we hardly ever get to. So I, I want us to turn to one of those obscure scriptures that we hardly ever read, um, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want to highlight this morning, you know, oh, not another preach on Acts 2.42. You know, I used to, as a young preacher, I used to fear preaching the same thing twice. And when I had an opportunity to preach, I would be thinking, let me come up with something that nobody else has preached, which, as you can imagine, after 2,000 years of preaching, it's quite difficult. If somebody's not preached it before, there's a reason, Right? <laughs> If nobody's ever preached it before, don't preach it. But then I realized, as I read Scripture, God repeats himself. 
And he doesn't repeat himself because he's got a bad memory. He repeats himself because he understands how thick we are. And how we need to hear the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, and I find that not just with scripture, not just with preaching, but even with counseling. You know, sometimes you, you walk with, as a leader, you walk with somebody for like five years and you're trying, to, you're trying to help them get breakthrough and you're giving them perspective and they're not seeing it, they're not seeing it, they're not seeing it. Then they have coffee with one other person once and they come to you and they go, wow, it was incredible. They told me that, and it's like, that's exactly what I've been telling you for the last five years. But suddenly a complete stranger tells it you and it's like this amazing revelation. And you know, it's just, we need sometimes just to keep repeating the truth until the truth permeates our hearts. And then once it's permeated our hearts, we need to repeat the truth because we forget it and we drift. Well, I do. I don't know about you. How many of you find like sometimes you wake up one day and you just realize I've drifted? Or God's speaking to you, or, or, or God's, you know, somebody's preaching uh, uh, about a subject, and you go, yeah, I know this, I've lived this, uh, uh, I've dealt this, and then suddenly as the preaching, you realize, wait a minute, I've drifted in this area. And devotion is what I want to talk about this, this morning. But devotion is one of those things, have you noticed, whether it's devotion to the Lord or devotion to your spouse or whatever, devotion is something that doesn't just maintain. I wish it did. In fact, we were singing a song last night. Uh, I forget the exact words. Um, Hannes can help me because he was leading worship. But it's like, I've got a love that will never fade. What? <laughs> do, do you remember? It's a song like, uh, 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 you've given me this love that will never grow cold. You've given me this. And I'm like, wait a minute. It feels like that at times. Like when you fall in love, it feels like that. I am so in love. This love could never possibly fade. But if you don't nurture it, it does. And devotion is one of those things. You know, um, my, my wife's had to leave. She, um, so I can talk about her. That's good. No. <laughs> when we were younger... And I was at Bible College. I was at Bible College in White River. You know, all know where White River is, up near Nelspray, on the border of the Kruger Park. And Chantelle at the time, in my, I met her there, and then I did my second year, and she moved to Johannesburg. She had a job in Johannesburg, which is about, what, a four-and-a-half-hour drive away. And sometimes on a Friday, you know, it's Friday afternoon, she was getting bored at work, so she'd phone me. Uh, this was before cell phones, so I'd get this call. There's a phone call for you, and I'd have, have to run and fight for the one phone that we had at the college for all the students. And, and then she'd say, I'm missing you. Can I come see you? So yeah, let, let, let's hang out this weekend. And she would drive four and a half hours up to Nelspreet on a Friday after work. And then we would get in the car, and I would drive us back to Johannesburg by which time it was late, so we'd, we'd, we'd go to sleep and then uh, wake up in the morning, spend Saturday together, Sunday morning go to church, and after church, I would drive back to Nelspreet, get out the car, and she would drive all the way back to Johannesburg. 18 hours driving to spend a day together. Can any of you identify with that level of devotion? Right? When you're young and stupid and in love, Right? It's, it's not too much to ask. And there's no pressure in it. You do it willingly and you do it joyfully and you enjoy the adventure. But if you're not careful, that level of devotion wanes. And I'll be honest, some days, not often, but some days, if I'm 15 minutes away, it's too far for my wife to come fetch me. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are going, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> but I want to talk about devotion. And for some, you've never known what it is to be devoted to Jesus. And for others, you have been. But the challenge or the question this morning is, where is our devotion today? I was reading in the book of Revelation, uh, the, um, the letter to the church in Ephesus. 
And many of us know that that's the church where Jesus says, uh, have this against you that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. There's a sense of, I've got this against you. You're not as devoted as you used to be. But here, here's the introduction before he says that. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostle and are not and found them false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. That sounds like, that's a, that's a really good recommendation, right? He says, but you've lost your first love. And when you look at those words, is it possible to put those words up? Sometimes this is the language we use when we're being faithful, but we've lost something of devotion. He says, not. Revelation chapter, chapter 2 from verse 2, your toil, your patient endurance, you're enduring patiently, you're bearing up. How many of you sometimes feel like that's how church is a little bit? I'm still faithful. I'm tired, but I'll still do it. I've been doing this a long time. But I'll still... And it's, it's good that we remain faithful and Jesus commends the church. But I think if they hadn't lost their first love, if they had still had this devotion bubbling up and welling up within them, the language wouldn't have been about toil and patient endurance and bearing up. And suffering, and, and that's the experience of many Christians I find. It's like, let me just suffer and kind of crawl like a worm through this life and hopefully make it to heaven and I'll be happy then. But when there's devotion, the things that otherwise would seem a burden actually often become a joy. Driving 18 hours for one day was not a burden. Oh, I can't believe I'm driving so much. And so I want to talk about devotion because my hope and my desire, I'm not saying we're not devoted, but my hope and my desire is to stir up again that that passionate devotion for Jesus that, that many of us have experienced. And the first thing I want to say about devotion It says they devoted themselves. Nobody can make you devoted to anything. Nobody can compel you to be devoted. If I was to take out a gun and point it at Nathan's head, (laughs) and I said, now actually to his heart, let's let's try and hit something important that he uses. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if, if I put a gun to his head and say, "Be devoted, or I'll shoot you," what? Can I compel devotion? No, I can compel obedience or compliance. I can get an outward show of devotion. I can get him to do the right things, but I can't make him devoted. Nobody can make you devoted to anything except you. One of my favorite stories of uh, Will Murray um, was he was um, he was sat um, speaking to a guy, uh, counselling him, and this guy had fallen into sin. And this guy said, "I just couldn't help it." So Will just reached across and slapped him across the face. He said, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, we have a choice. Nobody can compel us. Nobody can force us. And that's one of the mistakes of history where, where governments have tried to compel people to be Christians. And you can't. All you can do is you can maybe compel church attendance or a certain behavior, but you can't compel devotion. Devotion has to come within. And in Acts 2.42, when it talks about they gave as each had need, that wasn't communism. Communism is where the state comes and says, we will compel you to show what you've got. And communism 
by, by its very nature, has to be atheistic because they say, we will take the place of God. We will be your provider. We will be your protection. And you will pay homage to us and give us our dream. We'll distribute it. Community is when there's a devotion in people's hearts and they willingly give. And as leaders, you know, one of the challenges is it sometimes... We, we try and address people's behavior. And that's not always wrong. We, we, we need to help to encourage each other to live a life that reflects our devotion. But when we're trying to disciple other people, and we're all called to make disciples, right? If we're simply trying to get people to conform to a certain behavior, but we've not found or encouraged them to be devoted, that behavior will never last. Does that make sense to you? And so I'm preaching on devotion, and I realize no matter how bad or how terribly I preach, it makes no difference to, to how, how devoted you're going to be walking out of here. The only thing that's going to make a difference is personal choice. So nobody can make you devoted. But everybody's devoted to something. Everybody. You're all devoted to something. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out what you're devoted to. Spend 10 minutes with somebody, you'll find out what they're devoted to. What they readily speak about. Look at somebody's bank account statements. If you were to give me your bank account statements within five minutes, I'd tell you what you're devoted to. (laughs) <clears throat> this preach sponsored by Ride and Signature. <laughs> Show me your diaries. And after looking at about six or seven pages, if you keep a diary, I'll tell you what you're devoted to. You know, psychologists have done research, and I don't want to be that, that guy who's Knocking the young people. Oh, the young people of today. <clears throat> but psychologists did research, and they said today's generation, those are probably under 25, 30 years of, of age. Yes, I'm talking to you. They said by e- every measure as a generation, it's the most narcissistic generation ever recorded. You know what narcissism is? Self-love. Devotion to self. Having a high opinion of themselves. Self-love. And you can see it. And I don't blame the young people today. I, I, I blame the parents. I, I, I blame the parents who t- tell children, you're the center of the universe. You know, the, Chris Pratt, you know, the, the actor who does Guardians of the Galaxy... I heard him give a speech at a, at a, at a college, and it was incredible. He, 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 was like, he was talking about God and faith and prayer. And then he said, if anybody tells you you're perfect, you're not. And he was like, what? I, kids today have never heard you're not perfect. He said, if people tell you you're perfect just the way you are, you're not. And isn't that the whole point? That we're actually not perfect and we need a connection with God, with Jesus, because he's perfect and we're not. But we're growing a generation that believes they're perfect and they're amazing and everybody gets a trophy. And then social media doesn't help. You know why it's called social media? The emphasis is on me. I was, I was telling this story. I was a few years ago. I took the family. We we we, we uh, came into a little bit of money. I was going to buy a motorcycle, and in the end, God spoke to me and said, "Don't be selfish. Spend it on the family." So I took the family on a trip to Europe. That's why I don't have a cool motorcycle now. You know? <sighs> but I'm not bitter because I'm devoted to my family. And we saw some incredible places, uh, you know, the, the Eiffel Tower, the Colosseum, all of these, uh, you know, all of these places in Europe. And there was this phenomenon I noticed. And I noticed it most at the Colosseum. 
we, we got to the Colosseum and uh, it was late afternoon and the sun was setting and the sky was changing. It was just beautiful. And this, this incredible building that, 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 that has stood for 2,000 years nearly and, and people travel from all over the world to see this place. And as we were looking at it, I noticed, and usually it was young ladies, sorry, I'm, I'm not, not meaning to be chauvinistic here, but it was mainly young ladies, who would arrive dressed to the nines as though, you know, they're about to go to a party, not walking through Rome. You know, high heels, makeup, hair, like, whatever. And they'd, they'd walk up <laughs> with the phones, and the Colosseum's behind them, and they get the phone out, and it's... Give it some fish face. <laughs> and for, for about 10 minutes, I don't know how many pictures they're taking, but... And then after about 10 minutes of this, then they spend another 10 minutes. Then they find just the perfect picture. Then they spend another 10 minutes trying to pick a filter. You know... Edit it, make it, you know, make it look better. Hashtag YOLO. <laughs> Hashtag best life. And then they post it onto Instagram and it goes out there and all the friends look at it. And the whole idea is the friends are supposed to look at it and go, wow, she's got the perfect life. Yeah? And it's not real. But it's selfie. Self, we live in a selfie generation. That, that, should, that should tell us enough. And, and many people today are devoted to self. Paul writes and he warns that in the end times, people will be lovers of self. But here's the other side of the coin. That psychologists researching this generation have also found Suicide ideation, thinking about suicide and suicide attempts, is higher than it's ever been in history. You go, wait a minute. Self-love is higher. Devotion to self. And the mantra that the world tells you, how many of you, if you can learn to love yourself, you'll be okay. The answer to mental health problems is to love yourself. And it obviously doesn't work because people are loving themselves more than ever before and and. Suicide rates are going through the roof. So we're all devoted to something. But some things are worth our devotion and others aren't. Some are devoted to career. And somebody once said, I never ever heard somebody on the deathbed say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Some are devoted to money. And that never satisfied. I think it was John Paul Getty when he was the richest man on earth. He had a payphone in his house for his guests. If his guests wanted to make a phone call from his house, they used the payphone. And somebody said to him, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. He had more money than his great-great-great-grandchildren could ever spend, but it couldn't satisfy. He was devoted to something that was empty. So we're all devoted to something, but wouldn't you rather be devoted to something worthwhile, something of value, and something that will last into eternity? You know what that is? That's devotion to Jesus. And by extension, devotion to Jesus' family. I haven't always had the easiest relationship with my in-laws. For a long time, they didn't like me. I can't understand why. That laughter was a bit too much. Uh, Funny because it's true. And some people 
They think they're devoted to their partner, but they're not. They're devoted to an idea of the partner or how the partner can make their lives better. And so they say, I don't like your family. Let's, let's separate from your family. Right? Because I don't want to deal with your family. But if I'm devoted to Chantelle, there has to be a devotion to her family. Even if they don't like me. And even if I don't li- I do like them, but. <laughs> and we've got a much better relationship now. But sometimes people are, I'm devoted to you, but they're not devoted to you. They're devoted to what you can give to them. They're devoted to how that person makes you feel. I think most of us have known somebody who's been in a relationship and we're like, really, this is not a healthy relationship. There's not devotion here. There's a devotion to what that person can, or what you, that person is devoted to what you bring to them. And sometimes, just sometimes, I have to ask myself, Jesus, am I devoted to you or have I become devoted to what you bring to me? And if I'm devoted to you, am I devoted to your bride? And the bride of Christ is so beautiful. She is worthy of our devotion. I want to be devoted to something. I want to give myself to something. And we sing about it. We, we talk about it. And, and, and I've said this before, but you know, people, somebody once said, we don't tell lies in church. We sing lies very often. And we sing songs. And then if we were to really stop and ask ourselves, do I believe this? Or if we, had, if we had to stop and say, let me sing the truth, maybe the lyrics of our songs might change. This morning, maybe we would have sung, we will give a lukewarm praise. <laughs> you are worthy of a bit. You are worthy of a bit. Mikey at the center of it all. Mikey at the center, and all this is for me. <laughs> and even in our connectedness with Jesus, because it's, it's in us, it's an innate part of our fallen nature, of our flesh, which I hate, but I also love, unfortunately. You know what I'm talking about? I hate the fact that I'm selfish, but the reason I'm selfish is because part of me likes it. And even my devotion to Jesus and my devotion to the church can be about what I get rather than a a pure, undefiled, selfless devotion. And that's where the word devotion here, um, I want to unpack it a little bit. It's got shades of meaning. But one of the Greek words that they they used and they borrowed for the word devotion It means this, to move forward despite resistance, obstacles, or difficulty. In other words, the writer here, Luke, is describing this devoted people, but there's an acknowledgement that devotion isn't taking the path of least resistance. Me taking the path of least resistance is leaving my underwear on the floor because I know my wife will pick it up. Have you got one of those magic tables at home? I've got one of those magic tables. You know those magic tables, right? You leave dirty dishes on it and then miraculously you come back the next day and the dishes have been cleaned. Taking the path of least resistance is not devotion. When this passage was written, there was an understanding that it's going to be hard to maintain our devotion and it's going to be hard to live it out. There are going to be obstacles in the way. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be persecution. And when difficulties come and we have options, our devotion will determine which option we take. Because if, you, if you're devoted to something, like surfing, I just, 
Do I feed the family for a week or do I buy a new surfboard? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> we could all do with losing a bit of weight anyway, so. You will willingly do without other things. Other things bring you no joy compared to that. It's not, it's not a sacrifice. Do you ever regret not buying more books and, and spending that money on, on surfing? No, he doesn't, you see? <laughs> Explains a lot. No, you know, it's, not, it's not a sacrifice. When you're devoted to something, when you're devoted to somebody, have you seen how generous guys get when they're in love? I've got mates, like, we'd, when I was younger, we'd, we'd go out to the pub, you know, and there's always one who's last in. I've just got to go to the bathroom, get the rounds in, I'll, I'll, I'll be back in a minute, you know. The T-Rexes of this world. I can't reach my pocket. Tighter than cramp. And then they fall in love and suddenly like the money's out or the like nothing's too nothing's too good for you, darling. And it's no longer a sacrifice because of devotion. The obstacles have disappeared. Like the song says, I can see Deirdre now, Lorraine has gone. <laughs> Sorry. When you're devoted to something, the obstacles in your way, it's like nothing will stop me. Hannes, before he became a surfer, was a real athlete. (laughs) And trained with some of the top runners in the country. How much sacrifice is involved getting to an Olympics? Yeah. But the guys that got to the Olympics, what did they give up for that? They, They couldn't eat what they wanted, drink what they wanted, go where they wanted. There's a massive, massive, massive sacrifice. One of my favorite things is, you know, watching the Olympics and the interview gold medal winners. And they say, what's the first thing you're going to do now that you... And they go, I'm going to go and get a Big Mac. He's like, because <laughs> I've not eaten anything nice for the last four years. You go, wow, what would drive somebody to do that? Devulsion. And there are obstacles in our way. What are the obstacles we face? Poverty. I can't because I don't have. And poverty is real. And financial constraints are very real, and they seem to be getting worse and worse. How many of you are feeling financial pressures at the moment? And I say, hey, consider coming on an outreach in November to Brazil. And I can guarantee probably at least 20 people went, well, that's impossible. I don't have the money. And it may be impossible for you to budget. But if there's a devotion... Maybe the first thing is, God, I desire it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to to trust you, and maybe God will provide. I've taken dozens and dozens of people to Brazil who couldn't afford it. You see, it's not your financial situation that's the obstacle. It's your financial mindset. And yes, it's a reality. Some of us can afford things other people can't, and I'm I'm not being blind to that. But I think a greater obstacle to devotion is a mindset than our, spirit, than our financial status. Jesus praised the woman who gave two small coins because she had nothing to give, but it didn't prevent her being devoted. Busyness. Is busyness an obstacle? I can't attend that. I can't come to to church. I can't come to that training. I can't come to the gathering because I'm busy. 
And again, this is not a law. You better be at every meeting because that is not a sign of devotion when I'm, when I'm forcing you to be compliant. But when your heart is to be there, it's amazing how you can rejig your schedule. Some Christians I know are more devoted to their children than they are to Jesus. More devoted to their children's sporting ambitions. Uh, I read this. The chance of your son becoming a Springbok rugby player, something like 0.01%. The chance of your son standing before Jesus one day is 100%. How much time and effort are we putting into into our, our children's spiritual state and how much into their education and sporting activities? I, I love the Van Furen family because they have big sporting ambitions, famous around the world, champion surfers. But they're not devoted to that so much as they're devoted to Jesus. And if Jesus tomorrow said, don't do that, they would lay it down for the sake of him. I had a job which required me, I was the national sales manager of a company which required me to travel to Johannesburg, Durban, wherever, on a regular basis. And at one point, I sat down with my directors and I said, I've got a problem, guys. My traveling is taking me away from church too much. I can't afford to travel as much as you want me to. So I'm willing to step down from my job. I'll even find and recruit and train my replacement. But I cannot do this amount of traveling. Because kingdom is first in my life. I didn't know what that meant. I might have been out of a job. might have been a demotion. By God's grace, and it does help when, you've, when you're a really, really good employee before you say things like that. <laughs> they said, no, 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 Mike, we don't want to lose you. How can we work with you? How can we make this work? And we found a compromise where I could be faithful to my work but first be faithful to Jesus. As last Sunday, I was telling the story of, of Dylan, and I might get some of the facts wrong, but Dylan used to work for a printing company doing quality control. So as the printed material was going by on the, through the rollers, he had to look at it in detail to check if there was any problems, you know, with the print. And, you know, you would hope that the company that you work for gets big orders because that's job security, right? And everybody's better off. And one day they got a really big order and everybody was celebrating. The only problem was it was an order to print porn. His job would have been to look at this <laughs> very closely. <laughs> and he had to go to his bosses and said, I cannot do this. That costs you your job, right? In my case, the bosses said, we'll make a plan. In his case, they said, well, we've not got a job for you. So I can tell my story and you go, oh yeah, great, let's put Jesus first and we'll still prosper. No, sometimes you put Jesus first and you suffer. But you count all things lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. When you're so in love with that, nothing else has value. When you're in love, your whole priority system changes. When you're devoted your behavior shifts. How many of you have got young boys? How many of them love to bath and shower? Not many of them. Wait till they notice girls. Then you'll never get them out of the shower. <laughs> right? It's just suddenly I've got my, I, I'm devoted to something. It will change my priorities. It'll change my worldview. It will change everything. And one of the misconceptions about Christianity is, you know, if you come to Jesus, you've got to change your life. And you've got to say goodbye to all the fun things. And the reality is, yes, you have to change. But when you come to Jesus, something in you wants to change because you realize how valueless everything is that you used to value. And you realize that all the things that promised you satisfaction doesn't give it. So devotion is moving forward. And there is, a, there is a danger, you know. People say, well, if you're too devoted, you're going to end up, if you're devoted to God too much, you'll, you'll neglect your family. No, no, no. That's not true. 
I, I believe if you're truly devoted to Jesus, Jesus will be devoted to your family. He says, if you build my house, I'll build yours. The problem is not when we're devoted to Jesus, it's when we're devoted to ministry. Yeah? Because then we're not being obedient to Jesus, we're driven by our own motivations. And those motivations may be pure, but I don't believe that Jesus will allow allow me to truly neglect my family. I believe my family may sometimes feel neglected because sometimes, even with God, don't we demand or we expect more than we should actually get? Yeah? So sometimes my kids want more than is the right amount of attention to give them. But again, it's not a priority list. I, I grew up with, um, and lots of people said, you know, you, it's, I grew up with this thinking, you put God first, family second, church third. And so if my son's got a, a, a sports game and there's a church meeting, well, I've got to put my, my kid first, you know. And then somebody said, no, 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 it's God first, church second, family third. Oh, well, that makes sense because, you know, the kingdom of God. I realize that's wrong. It's not a list of priorities. A better picture is when we look at the solar system. Everything revolves around the sun. Right, the sun, it's a pun, right? You can spell sun too. The sun and the sun, you got that, right? I'm trying to be clever. I'm trying to read my audience. Everything revolves around the sun. And it's the sun's gravitational effect that determines where everything else is. And so sometimes one object is closer to the sun and then sometimes something else is. So if I put Jesus first, that sometimes means, as I have done, um, I've sometimes said to, to Abigail, I'm sorry, I won't be here for your birthday. I'll be in Brazil. But I'm not going to, when I get back, we're going to party, and I'm going to bring you gifts back. And, I, and thank you for sacrificing and sending me and incorporating her into the decision. And sometimes it's the other way around, believe it or not. I remember I'd been working particularly hard. Uh, Chantel was struggling just after Elizabeth was born, you know, hormones and all that kind of stuff, and um, the exhaustion of late nights. And I was working really hard. And Andrew said, take Take your girls away. I said, I've got too much to do. He said, no, take them. I said, I've got too much to do, and I, I don't have any money at the moment. He said, my parents have got a house in Royals. You can have that for a few days. Thank you, Auntie Leslie. I said, but I, and then he said this to me. He said, Mike, if I see you at church on Sunday, I'm going to discipline you. Because now is the time to invest in your family. That's how you serve kingdom. That's how you serve Jesus right now. But I'm account- it's not just me and what's easiest. And sometimes when we're not devoted, I've talked about the path of least resistance. You know what happens is I've got all these responsibilities and I can't say no to my boss who wants me to work overtime because I'm afraid I'll lose my job. And I can't say no to my wife who's complaining she doesn't see me often enough because happy wife, happy life. And I can't say no to my kids. Uh, you know, I'll say no to the elders because that's just the path of least resistance. And it's not about saying yes or no to elders. It's about, are you being obedient to Jesus in this moment? That's what devotion does. There are obstacles. You understand what I'm saying? Being devoted to Jesus is not all fun and games. There is a cost. But you willingly pay the cost because of your devotion. And it's devotion to Jesus, not the things of Jesus. You know, in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to breaking bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. Not, I don't think they were actually devoted to apostles' teaching. I think they were devoted to Jesus, and apostles, the apostles' teaching brought them closer to Jesus. I'm devoted to whatever will bring me closest to the object of my devotion. And some of you, as I'm talking about this and work and the obstacles, you're going, it's all right for you, Mike, you're in full-time ministry. Let me let you into a secret. It's not easier in full-time ministry. Hey, Phil, 
Sometimes there are even more demands on your time and it's harder to discern which is God and which is not. Often people describe me as a theologian and I don't like that description. I don't think I'm a theologian because I'm not in love with theology. I don't love sitting around a table for hours and hours discussing the finer points of did Adam have a belly button or how many angels can fit on the head of a pin or, you know, these. For me, theology is simply a tool and it's important to have the right tools. When you, you love to shape boards, how much, how much passion do you have for tools? You know, but you, you make sure you've got good tools. And you appreciate a good tool from a bad tool. But actually your joy is, is like you've created this board and then you take it out and it just performs amazingly, right? <laughs> or an art- who's an artist? Um, have we got any artists? We've got some. Maritza's an artist. I know because we've got one of your paintings in our, in our lounge. Do you love paintbrushes? Do you get all excited about paintbrushes? When you're in a shop, you're like, oh, this is really, I don't have this one. And you want, to, you want the best paintbrushes you can afford and you want all the right tools. But your passion is creating a work of art. My passion isn't theology. My passion is producing a picture of Jesus for people. Through teaching, through preaching. But so often we can get sidelined and I can become passionate about I can become devoted to books, to study, to theology. I can be devoted to talking about Jesus rather than talking with Jesus. And one of the big challenges for me is in a quiet time and I'm, I'm reading scripture and instead of God speaking to me, I'm going, oh, that'll make a nice preach. And I've got to silence my heart to say, no, this isn't work. This is spending time with the object of your devotion. And just because the church pays my salary doesn't mean I can't be distracted by work. Community leaders, you can be devoted to being a leader rather than being devoted to Jesus. Is this making any sense at all? Devotion is a giving ourselves. And unfortunately, it wanes. Or we can become distracted by other things. You know, a few years ago, um, Chantal and I, we just had some tensions in our marriage. There was a lot of tension at home. The kids were getting a little better out of hand. You know, I'd drive home and I, I could see the dark cloud over the house. And it wasn't, it was me. It was, I'm not saying I was innocent, I was a poor victim. But at home, there was tension, there was stress, and I felt like a loser. I was a leader in the church, and I could sit and have coffee with somebody, and people go, oh, Mike, thank you so much. It's so awesome. You're so full of wisdom. You're so amazing. And at home, like, nobody would listen to a word I said. I'm supposed to be a leader. I can't lead my dog. You know, it's like... And so, so what, what the temptation, what nearly crept in, and I could feel it creeping in, was a desire to be where I felt like a hero. Rather than be at home. Because it was hard to be at home. There were obstacles and there were difficulties. But my wife is the object of my devotion. And when we got married... We said, there is no, this is, this, there's no way out. I, I was listening to somebody the other day. They said, all marriages end, if you realize, in death or divorce. Yeah? So, if you die, you win. 
It's like, we're not, no matter how bad, bad things, and this was when we, before we're married, when we're still in love, we said, no matter how big bad things get in the future, that is not a word we will ever use. It's not something we'll ever threaten. It's not, it's not a weapon we will ever employ. It's off the table. And we said that while we were devoted. Because I hate to say it, but there were times when my devotion drifted. And you know what happens in that place? A setting comes along and he'll find something attractive for him. He'll find that attractive girl who'll actually treat you like a hero. And you'll be like, oh, why can't my wife be more like this? No, I'm not even going to consider it. Because the object of my devotion, it's not simply an emotion. It is an emotion, but it's also a choice. Somebody said, our feelings, our emotions make great servants, but terrible masters. Those feelings are a good servant because they tell me something isn't right. I'm feeling something I know I shouldn't feel, or I'm not feeling something I should. It's a good servant. But then my will, my choice must be, you know, worst advice ever, follow your heart. Do not follow your heart. If you follow your heart, you're going to end up in sin, because that's what your heart wants. You know, even with church leadership, some people say to me, why should I, why should I be in submission to my leaders? They may lead me astray. That's true, they may. We're fallible. I'm just going to follow my heart. Uh, your heart is more deceitful than anything, the Bible says. An elder may lead you astray. Your heart definitely will. <laughs> and so it's a choice and an emotion. So if I, I'm just choosing to be devout, I'm just choosing to be faithful. If there's no feeling there, if there's no emotion there, that's a warning sign. And this is an Englishman speaking. Englishmen don't get very excited about stuff, have you noticed? You know, the highest compliment an Englishman can pay you is, that's not bad. (laughs) If he tells you it's amazing, he he means it was rubbish. (laughs) If he says it's rubbish, he means it's rubbish. If he says that's not bad, then it was amazing. So this is an Englishman speaking, but I've... God's given me emotions to serve me, but they're not my master. And I have to bend my emotions to the will of God. I can't be led by fear. I can't be led by hate. Love those who hate you. Love your enemies. Love is an emotion, but it's also, I can't just go with my, I've got to bend my emotions to my will. To God's will. And devotion is the same. I'm not feeling particularly devoted. So what do we do? Well, in many ways, God is like car keys. I can see some puzzled expression. My family, we're always losing our car keys. Where's the car keys? I've got to leave in two minutes. I can't find the car keys. And when I can't find the car keys, my wife always um, asks me, the same really pointless question. Can you guess what the question is? Where did you last have them? If I knew where I'd last had them, they wouldn't be lost. But God is like car keys. People say to me, I just feel so distant from God. I feel like I've lost God. And so my question is, where did you last have him? Where did you depart from his presence? Maybe it was a sin issue. And the good news is, I can go back, repent, and find him instantly. Maybe it's not, it kind of is sin, but maybe it was just neglect. Or busyness. Good intentions. But I suddenly look around and think, we've drifted. We've drifted. My devotion isn't what it once was. I think it's useful and helpful to consistently stop and ask ourselves, 
I'm a devotee. You know, while that, a few weeks ago, I just got back from Brazil, and uh, it was the busiest, hardest trip. I've very fruitful, but I was done. Like five days before I left, I, I went to I went to have a snooze after lunch. I was on a church camp. One o'clock, I said, I'm just going to go sleep for an hour. At 7.30, Ronaldo, who leads the church, was waking me up and said, are you coming to the meeting tonight? I said, well, I better do. I'm preaching. And I was, that's how exalt, I just, I was out. And then on the back of that, I had to fly home via Turkey, which was like a 13 and a half fl- hour flight. And then a 10 hour, I mean, I got back and I was, I was exhausted. And in that state, I got a bit sick. And so I phoned the guy, I'm not going to be at church. I'm not well. And I really, wa- I really was unwell, and it, it probably was the best thing to do looking back. But then I asked myself, and I said, would this have stopped you before? About 16 years ago, I had an operation on my back. And before the operation, the, the, the surgeon said to me, you know, it's important that you recover well. Rehab is, how successful this is will depend on, on your rehab. He said, so what I'm going to ask you is for six weeks after the operation, you don't sit. You can lie down, you can stand up, but you can't sit. So I said, okay, fine, did the operation. And then I realized that means six weeks of no church. I'm not, I'm not doing without church for six weeks. So the first thing I did, I got people to move my, a single bed into my lounge and had community in my house so I could lie on the bed and have community in my lounge. And then, I was living in Parklands at the time, I would put my slippers on on a Sunday, and I could only really shuffle like this, and I would shuffle to church. It would take me an hour of shuffling, and a lot of pain. And then I'd get to church, and I had a bed brought into the hall. I would lie on the, on the bed, do the whole church service, and then shuffle home. Now, if I said to you, that's the level of devotion I expect, that's what you must do, that would be abusive. Nobody said you had to do that. But something in me, I can't miss this. It was an internal devotion. And I thought to myself, I'm a bit sick, I haven't gone. What's happened to my devotion? And the answer might be, you were a bit stupid before and now you... I don't... Because <laughs> actually, you know, do you know who knows how your devotion should be worked out? You and Jesus. And as leaders... You know, sometimes, like Dylan might phone me and say, Hey, I've been working really hard. Can I give this meeting a miss? Sometimes I say, God, I've got to trust you. Dylan, I trust you. If you're really saying you, then go for it. But sometimes I might say, mm, I want to help him because his heart's deceitful. Like my heart's deceitful. But I can't, I can't demand devotion. I can encourage it. I can stir it up. I can, I can, but I cannot put a gun to your head and say you will be at the meeting. Because you know what will happen? Your bum will be on the chair, but your heart will be somewhere else. And I would, to be honest, I'd rather your heart here and your bum somewhere else. <laughs> Is this my devotion? Devotion. I want to kind of start landing here with a quote. It's quite a heavy quote. So before I read it, I I, want to remind us, I'm not trying to put a law on us or a burden on us. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's still a yoke. There's work to do. He didn't say, come to me and you can just sit around doing nothing. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. In other words, when we're doing what God's called us to do, when we're being obedient to him, there's a joy in it. There's an, even, the, even the sacrifice we rejoice in, right? So this sounds heavy. And if, you're not, if it's not coming from a place of internal devotion, it sounds like I'm demanding a standard. I'm not demanding a standard. I'm encouraging devotion. And a guy called F.B. Mayer said this. Jesus Christ has bought us with his blood. But alas, he has not had his money's worth. He paid for all. And he's had but a fragment of our energy, 
time, and earnings. By an act of consecration, let us ask him to forgive the robbery of the past and let us profess our desire to henceforth be utterly and only for him, his slaves, owning no master other than himself. That just hit me. He paid it all, and he's not at his money's worth. Let us resolve to be totally and only for him. Because that way lies joy. That way is life. And yes, there will be difficulties and obstacles. There may even be persecution. And yes, there is a temptation that our devotion would wane. That our devotion would, 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 our, our attention would be distracted and our devotion would, would latch on to something else. But let us be those who consistently remind ourselves of who he is, what he's done, and fan into flames that, that passion. Let us not be, and I do want to commend us as a congregation, I think faithfulness, perseverance, toil. Guys, you work hard. We have a lot of meetings sometimes. I love the faithfulness. But I would hate to see us being faithful but having lost that passion and devotion. You know, earlier, Barant talked about Jesus rescuing us. And he gave us an invitation. Those who've never surrendered to Jesus, who, ne- who need rescuing still. And I want to extend that invitation again, but from a different angle. Jesus is so devoted to seeing you in relationship with him that he paid the ultimate price. He said, I will lay down my life. I will, I will, I will hand myself over to sinful men to torture me and beat me and flog me and murder me and, and mock me and spit on me while it's happening. And I will do that in order to make a way for you to enter into a relationship with me. That's how devoted I am to bringing you life. And he says, you can have that life if you choose to surrender the life you've got. And take the life I have for you. And for many, when we make that decision, it feels like a sacrifice. I've got to give up my life. On the other side of it, can I tell you, it is no sacrifice. Because whatever we give up for Jesus is replaced by something of far greater worth. And whatever you're devoted to, if it's not Jesus, ultimately will not satisfy it may satisfy, satisfy for a while, but in the long term, the amount of satisfaction will be less and less, and it will leave you empty. But devotion to Jesus fills you. And I'm not devoted to Jesus out of some legalistic obligation. I'm devoted to Jesus. The same reason that Ivan is devoted to surfing. <laughs> Nobody has to put a gun to him in his head and say, go surfing. It's because there's such joy and satisfaction. And he does it in a place of knowing Jesus. Otherwise, it would be empty. (laughs) So even surfing is better with Jesus. (laughs) Everything's better with Jesus. And I do want to give you that. Can we just close our eyes? If you're here this morning, and this isn't manipulation. this This is the heart of God speaking so clearly to me, to others. There's a real hunger for the Lord for a relationship with you. And if you've never devoted yourself to Jesus, if you've never brought yourself and said, here I am, take my life, I choose to live for you. If you make that choice this morning, the wonderful thing is he takes your life and gives you a new life that is so much better. And he says, not only did I die for you, 
He says, I will live with you. I will live in you. And I will give you life and life in abundance. The life you have been living so far pales in comparison. And if you want to, if you want to make that choice, say, today I want to choose to be devoted to Jesus. I've never made that choice before. I would love for you just to raise your hand where you are. And remember, devotion is despite obstacles, difficulties, fears, and persecutions. You might be going, what will people think? I'm too nervous. I'm too afraid. Just make that choice. Just raise your hand right now so I can see it. Thank you. Anybody else? Just make that call right now and say, from this day forward, I want to serve Jesus. Thank you.